the ending of our sixth full day and night together. I feel really pleased the auspiciousness of this occasion in the midst of uh, such polarities and traumas and urgencies and violence that there can be occasions like this people like us come together to cultivate or remember primary relationship. Some might think, oh, you're running away from the world. In one sense it could be said we're meeting again afresh the world, the, the nature, learning how to relate to body, to form, to feeling, that valence, that powerful valence that's such a citta-sankara, it's such a conditioning factor for the heart the feeling tone of something being pleasing, what we like it and moving toward it, and something painful, displeasing, and oftentimes we just recoil in neutral thing, nothing's happening. If we're not mindful <clears throat> how this invisible but powerful feeling tone can condition so much seeking and resistance. And yet we've had this opportunity to train the heart, attention, discover this innate principle, cultivate it. Cultivating essential primary relationship. Perception, recognizing the power of a thought, a bias, an assumption, our formations, our tendencies, our patterns. Our very consciousness itself, our moments of knowing that we can see and hear smell and taste and sense and conceive, think or imagine. As I'm pleased with all the effort you've all given yourselves, encouraged us to keep giving ourselves, that the power of Sangha is it's more than the sum of its parts. We exponentially 
encourage, reflect, help us see our blind spots. When Sangha is working well, when I'm flagging, I see someone else persevering, pausing, honestly revealing, questioning, vulnerable, helps me remember, realign. The elk agree. (laughs) The Buddha from the Anguttara Nikaya enraptured with lust, enraged with anger, blinded by delusion, overwhelmed with mind ensnared. People aim at their own ruin, at the ruin of others, at the ruin of both, and they experience mental pain and grief. But if lust, anger, and delusion are given up, one aims neither at one's own ruin, nor at the ruin of others, nor at the ruin of both, and they experience no mental pain and grief. Thus is Nibbana visible in this life, immediate inviting, attractive to be experienced by each wise person for themselves. Some people think, oh, Buddha is suffering, dukkha, 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 suffering, suffering, suffering. Wait a minute. Buddhists have good news. We got good news. The Buddhist is wrong. Yes, there is suffering. There is suffering. It arises because of causes and conditions. It ceases when those causes and conditions subside and reveals when the grasping and aversion and the confusion abate like veils falling off our eyes, the ever-present luminous heart reveals itself. It's our nature. It's the good news is that we're destined to awaken. It's homecoming. It's because we perpetually, through karma, sankara, a creation of a sense of getting us somewhere. A creation, that's a creation, supported by concepts of, no, 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 it's not good here, I've got to get there. No, it's not good with this, I've got to get rid of that. Don't bother me now, I'm on my way. <laughs> <laughs> and we, and it's, it's not evil, but then we don't have a place of rest. We're overlooking the sacred core. So you could say we're doomed. 
to wake up to our treasured luminous heart. Like the great sage Nisargadatta said, in a great tanker ship full of cotton, it just takes one spark. Little by little by little by little, burning, 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 and extinguished, and the ash falls away, revealing the spaciousness, emptiness of the heart that holds all potentiality. We've introduced the practices uh, as we've received them, practiced them, cultivated them, sharing things that are useful for us. We don't definitely have all the answers. We're sharing our understanding, what has been useful to us in the Dharma. Aligning with we understood them, the teachings of the Buddha and the great saints and sages that have been passed down to us. Mindfulness of the body, being with it, breathing in and the breathing out. Moderating thought rather than getting lost in chains of thought. What's called vitaka, a guiding thought to bring us back here. But the thought is shorter. It dissolves so that we don't get lost in the thought and points attention so that the heart thing can receive and connect. Training ourselves not to just look for joy somewhere else. The joy rises up in the heart when we learn to savor, open to. Even the painful, the difficult, when energy is not being scattered all over the place, when we bring our attention here and unification starts to happen and we're enjoying, savoring, then the energy can little by little well up. Just like Ajahn Sajito gave the image, a boat on the beach in the sand. But as the tide raises, it lifts, it lifts, it lifts, then finally it lifts the boat off the sand. There's a buoyancy as we begin to gather and then we feel the buoyancy of the heart as the energy fills us. An abiding that doesn't exploit anyone, doesn't fight over resources, coming to standing, sitting, walking, lying down, breathing, learning how to relax, not just needing constant consumption, but learning a source of joy that is simple. might look like, oh, just running away. The more we learn how to be simple, think of the impact of that on the planetary condition of needing more, 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 more. Okay, the economy would be different, but maybe we need a, a new sustainable economy where we're not always having to throw stuff away, throw stuff away, get more, more, more. But find the joy of relinquishing, simplifying, savoring, appreciating. We've practiced 
then also using some of that gatherness to inquire, vipassana, look into the nature, yoniso manasikara, to wisely reflect, start to see change. Seemingly so simple, everyone almost in the world. Is that what you guys been doing? We had a multiple choice question, you know. Is it always daytime? No. <laughs> you know, is, um, does your skin ever change over the years? Of course. You know, everybody knows things. Is your bank balance always exactly the same? No. Everybody knows that. But when with our awareness touching into the shimmering nature of this moment, Dharma talk, which is just dissolving, interwoven with sounds, sensations in our body, thoughts, Impressions of who's in the room with the light. Feeling tones all woven together in this actuality of now is shimmering, shifting, becoming otherwise. Practicing how that can lead to a recognition of all, of nipita, of disenchantment, honoring the ever-shimmering changing, but not expecting that to suddenly be certain, something that you can own. So that naturally leads to a relinquishment, letting go, and a touching into the heart itself. Form is empty. Practicing this is how it is. Coming back to the actuality, our refuge in Dharma, what's actually arising, that if we really honor this moment, even if it's difficult, at its essence we'll arrive at this shining bright heart that might be manifesting in it discomfort or pain or illness or conflict, But when we see the true nature, we find a solid ground, a steady abiding. Agitation comes from wanting that which is shifting, changing, to to be certain. When one releases from that, it's not creating that opinion about life, how life has to be. Things change, and there's no obstruction. Resting in the immovable peace. Knowing our thoughts. <coughs> Minding the gap. not just hypnotized by the architecture of thought toward an opinion, toward a righteousness, toward a view, toward a bias. Yes, it's useful. Sometimes thought is useful for 
guiding, explaining, assessing whether something's wholesome or not wholesome, but also having time to let thinking reveal itself. Where is it coming from? Notice the silence before a thaw. Are we dead in that silence right before the thaw? When the thought's there, can we notice it vibrating if it's a slow-down thought, I am sitting? The silence after the thaw. Getting a feeling if we lean on thought, I've got to have a happy thought, or a... Tell me, who who am I? Who am I? Uh, Kitty who am I? You are the all-awakened one. (laughs) Hallelujah. Oh, happy, I'm the all-awakened one, I'm the all-awakened one, I'm the all and someone says, what are you going on about? Okay. Can you tell me I'm the all <laughs> You listen to that guy? <laughs> Bless his soul, I mean, he, he's all right, but the man came from Hicks in Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> he's got some serious issues. <laughs> he's, oh, you know, excited about praise, devastated about... But when we listen to the gap, happy thought, unhappy thought, and and we see they all arise and cease in this ground of living silence. Once the great guru sage has been a wonderful inspiration to Nisha and myself, Neem Kroli Baba, Maharaji, uh, Ramdas's teacher. Once in the ashram, he was just going around all day long. Too big, too big, too big, too big, too little, too little, too little, too little, too much, too much, too much, too much. Too little, too big, too small, too small, too hot, too hot, too hot, too hot, too cold, too cold. And they're saying, Maharaji, what are you doing? He said, I'm listening. That's what you guys are doing all day long. When we mind the gap and remember that thoughts are compared to bubbles, and the bubble's there and it's shiny, and we say, it is, it it exists, it is, and then pops. Someone else says, no, 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 it isn't, there's nothing there. And then there it is again. It is, it isn't, it is, it isn't. Listening to the silence, it is. It isn't. I'm the best. I'm the worst. I haven't made any progress. We start to notice what remains. When we're totally hypnotized by thoughts, it's like the Buddha said in the Sharangama Sutra, it is like ignoring hundreds of thousands of clear, pure seas and taking notice of only a single bubble, seeing it as the entire ocean. A thought so attached to it, when we notice it pop, savor the silence after the thought. And little by little, thought can become a tool but we're not wanting the thought to tell us who we are. Because it can't. This 
true nature. The Buddha famously said, this dharma, this nature cannot be described. Words fall silent before it. So we bless thought. Notice its limitation. Appreciate its bubble-like quality. And we start to rest in the heart. And we practice kindness too, the welcoming, because you know, tendency to push things away. Reflecting how the investigating, letting go, and also the kindness melts the walls of the mind. When we're welcoming, opening to, blessing, very powerful. There's many, so many examples. I can remember when, you know, there was suffering and when I just actually thought, well, What's going on? Oh, I'm averse to that pain, that situation that if I practice opening to. It's so different. A huge example for us was uh, Mr. Mandela. We didn't know. We didn't know when we got married. We already, they were showing a a synchronistic alignment with Mr. Mandela. We didn't know. We were married on July the 18th in a little village Catholic church in the town of Hedge End, the end of the hedge, (laughs) in Southampton. We had a Catholic priest and also a Russian Orthodox priest who I had a deep connection with. And my dad did a Jewish reading, and our first meditation teacher did a... This stretched some of the parents, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) And then we had a Hindu blessing right outside the church. (laughs) But we were married on July the 18th. And only a few years later, when we, a whole different miraculous story, how we ended up in South Africa, then when we were reading Mr. Mandela's biography, Long Walk to Freedom, I saw, wow, he was born on July the 18th. The day we were, our marriage was consecrated was his birthday. And... His example has has been incredible. That regime was ruthless, the apartheid regime. And he was imprisoned for trying to call attention to the injustices. In brutalizing conditions, lime mines put off on an island. We went and visited this tiny cell that he spent most of his time in.
but he turned it around. He realized. He, he was angry about it, and not just for himself, but for what he was doing to his family, to his country, to his people. But he just realized, harboring resentment, he said, to harbor resentment is like drinking poison and wanting it to kill your enemies. <laughs> and so he, it was not that, it was still difficult, but he turned it around, he determined, decided to use the situation. He turned the situation into a university. He did. We're going to learn from this. And he, he cultivated deep understanding and the realization he had to, to, to love, to welcome, to, to forgive. He didn't put it in the actual language of the Buddha, Hatred can never be overcome with hatred, but that's what he came to. He, he, he touched the hearts of his captors. He, he learned Afrikaans so that he could uh, and re- read their books and poetry so he could understand. Those were imprisoning him touched the guards so that many of them were really moved by his presence, his dignity, his metta, his benevolence. In in our hermitage in KwaZulu-Natal, there was a a man that ran the local security service. And he he came one day, um, he was a like a, what do you call it, special forces guy? Army fatigues and little scary at first, you know. Walked in with his gun, wanting to learn meditation from me. So uh, we went up to this little shrine room and he he did put his gun in the, in the <laughs> coat room. <laughs> Left, left it at the door of the shrine and we went in and we, we got to know each other and meditated. And he was telling me the story. He was uh, in Mr. Mandela's... Mr. Mandela had gotten him to be in his security detail. And... So he was a bodyguard for Mr. Mandela. And uh, there was a time, Tanisha alluded to it when we first got there, even though there was this huge celebration of Mr. Mandela's election and it went fairly peacefully, there still was a low-grade war. Part of the apartheid nationalist government insidious plot was to try to set different parts of the black population against each other. So there was this war, especially in our province, between the IFP, the Encarta Freedom Party, the Zulu Party, and the ANC, the African National Congress. And there was other other groups that were fighting, and it was just... So, you know, there was shootings, assassinations, massacres, still going on. And uh, at some point in his presidency, 
and there was these assassinations happening in a town not that far from us, Richmond. And I don't know if it was the IFP and the ANC, there might have been another one of the groups, but a lot of the ANC counselors, ministers were being killed. And so Mr. Mandela said, I'm going to go. So my friend was with him in the bulletproof presidential car. And what do you call it when there's a group of them? Uh, motorcade. And uh, so they go to Richmond. And, they, and the, the town was intense. All, and there was anger and people, you know how things happen. People were filling the streets. Presidential motorcade. And Mr. Mandela told the, uh, his bodyguards and my friend, Brett, I'm going to go outside and be with the people. And, and Brett said, Mr. President, you can't go outside. They'll shoot you. And Mr. Mandela said to him, I'm the president of this country. If I can't walk in my own streets, you might as well shoot me right now. And so he, to me it was a gesture of, of kindness, vulnerability, allowing in. He opened the doors, got out, walked amongst the people, and my friend just said it was so powerful to him. The wave of it touching and this man came out and allowed his heart to open, open to. We can practice this. Even a finger snap of cultivating that benevolence, loving kindness, the Buddha said, you can call yourself my disciple. How much more if one deepens it. That in moments, especially as one leaves the retreat, this is more rarefied, specialized circumstances, which is wonderful, hallelujah, and I, I rejoice in our good fortune, and we've shared it with the land and all beings, but when we go home and there's different that, and 463 emails and <laughs> whatever, you know, and all sorts of things. This is an incredible tool when we notice what we're fighting just in moments. Just to bless the moment by kindness and little by little to trust the Buddha teaching. This is protective. This is healing. This is powerful. And the same with 
with our thoughts as we mine the gap. We release ourselves from fixing ourselves in these boxes, but also it's compassionate. We can release others from pinning them into they're that way, they're that way. Well, I'm not making it up. I saw them. You saw that scowl on their face? <laughs> what a sourpuss. <laughs> so, how many times do we get a scowl on our face? You know, we might have just stubbed our toe or something. Do we want to be locked into the... So yes, okay, we saw something. But just like with ourselves, we go through all these things. Our Ajahn Sumedho, our Western teacher, said one of the most compassionate things you can do for another person is not to fix them with your thoughts. So our opinions, when our mind is going... We hear the thought dissolve. That makes it more likely they might be able to grow through that. The more we fix people, the more it can be self-perpetuate. One whole lifetime when the Buddha was really practicing metta and seeing the potentiality, he, he practiced, no matter who it was, he would say, oh, I can't harbor any ill will towards you. You're a future Buddha. And some people used to get a bit impatient with him. Who are you to prophesize Buddhahood for me? And then, he'd start, and then he would just back off and say, no, I can't get angry at you. You're a future Buddha. <laughs> uh, but, you know, he just saw that potentiality. So we work from the outside and we try to convince somebody And sometimes that just makes them resist more. The wonderful thing about metta, we can work from the inside. It does emanate. Wishing well. Compassion, may you be free from that which is unskillful. May you awaken to your true nature. May you find a good friend that you can hear something through. It's a benevolent heart. That don't underestimate the power of that to also help transform. Holding the sacred name. One of my favorite practices. As I said, I have uh, one of my big teachers has been anxiety. And, and, you know, there was a lesson in Dad used to, one of his mantras as we were growing up, he said, Son, anticipate. <laughs> you never know what they're going to do. You've got to always watch. Anticipate. And in, in, in an aspect, it's... it's uh, it's good advice. It can dri- drive you nutty. You know, worried about what if this happens, what if that happens. And then you know, just... And, and to... And that's just very shaky ground, what might happen. 
very shaky ground. And the sacred name empowered by the great vows of the Bodhisattva, like Kuan Yin, those who sincerely hold my name, <coughs> you will little by little let go of lust and grasping, attachment. You will let go, little by little, of aversion. You will naturally see through delusion. I hold the sacred name lightly, just mixing it with the sensations, namo konjimpusa. And really lightly, so that the heart is just open. And reminding me to, to trust in the listening. The safety of the listening. The protection of the listening the trustworthiness of the listening, the open-heartedness of the listening. Anxiety might come up, but then that is blessed and threaded through with the sacred name. And mysterious, this, this is a sacred, mysterious cosmos. When we're too caught up, we don't see the, and sense the mystery, the incredible things. But when we're more open, we can sometimes catch them, recognize them. One of my favorite things, even though I was ill, as I started to get better, one of the favorite things we would do every year when I was the abbot of a small monastery in the west of England is walk on Tudong. Tudong means to shake off. It's a word that means you shake off your attachments. So we'd leave the monastery and then walk, not knowing we were going to sleep that night, but have a few weeks or even a month where we would go on a walking pilgrimage from one place to another. Um, one year we were in Devon. I was going to walk to the town of Bath from Devon to Somerset. One year to Chithurst in West Sussex. One year down to Plymouth. And, and we, we would just have simple things and not know where we're going to stay and we would see people and say, do you know where we might be allowed to have permission just to stay the night? We're monks on pilgrimage. And some people would say, nope, don't know. But a lot of people say, oh, you can stay in my orchard. And Do you have anything to eat? And people would know and offer food. And I loved it. And while walking on the country lanes, just being with one step at a time, I much prefer that to flying. <laughs> and, um, and I would just, oftentimes, just hold the mantra. Namo Konshimpusa. Just walking, enjoying, blessing the sensations, the weight of the pack, the breath, the air. And as I was uh, walking one day, um, there were two monks, myself and another monk, and two postulants, two monks in training, so to speak. And my junior monk, Venerable Atapemo, had the map. He was in charge of the map, as we had a sense of where we were going to try to go. But we were going to a little fork of the path, and as I was walking, um, I think I was just holding my mantra, and suddenly someone tapped me on the head. But it wasn't a person. It was invisible, but they tapped me on the head and said, go right. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I didn't say, someone just tapped me on the head. But I, I said, oh, okay, well, I, I think we should just... And then Venerable Atamano said, uh, Venerable, see, excuse me, Venerable, see, two sides of a triangle, you see that? That's, that's a long way to go, two sides of the triangle. We go through here, it's a shortcut. And I said, no, but that, that looks like a knife. No, 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 two sides of the triangle. <laughs> you see that? That's direct. And so I said, okay. I didn't try to argue and telling him about someone who just tapped me on the head. But uh, so then we, we turned off the, to go on this, this path that uh, he had pointed us to. And literally, 20 steps down the way, someone appeared out of nowhere. I, I, we didn't see them. And there was a, a local farmer in the field with a, with a backpack spraying and, and, and he just called over to us, wouldn't come this way if I were you. <laughs> and so, you know, we turned around, went back on that path. My attention was caught then, hmm, where we were. And so we walked down that path a little way, that, that little small lane for a little ways. And then up ahead we see this old man standing out in the road. He had a thing that looked like a megaphone. He was holding it. As we got closer, he, he noticed us. And then as he got closer, he, um, he said, The Lord Buddha. After his awakening under the Bodhi tree, walked to Kasi to turn the wheel of the Dhamma and open the doors to the deathless. Welcome. (laughs) (laughs) And he was tottering, and and that thing that looked like a megaphone was a hearing aid. (laughs) And he opened the gate, and there in his English garden, Tea and scones and all these things were set out. And his daughter, looking a little shy, was there and called me over. She said, today is his 80th birthday. We were driving early this morning and saw you walking. And he said, those are Buddhist monks. And he had been a colonel in India with the the Gurkha force and had met a Lama that taught him about the Dhamma. And he proudly showed me his prayer wheels on Mani Padme Hum. (laughs) (laughs) And all the pictures. And his daughter told me she didn't know how much longer he would live, but they were just hoping we would come by their house. The response and the way are intertwined inconceivably. When we open ourselves, we can get little nudges and guidance, and so many times, so many times, so many times over the years, to me there has been confirmation that this world is mysterious and alive.
as we hold the world more lightly. And are not afraid of the empty nature. Using the skillful means that we can to keep trusting in this depth of listening. What was uh, suffering can, can become, as our Chinese master said, wonderful existence. We attach and it becomes birth and death. When we let go, then it can become wonderful existence. And thus takes into emptiness. But the emptiness, if we want the emptiness to be empty, is not true emptiness. There's a version in it. That's why we need to learn to allow. If we want existence to exist, we want it to be solid and trustworthy and me and mine, then it creates birth and death. We let go and realize this form, and realize form is emptiness. And emptiness is form. We don't need to be afraid of emptiness. We can worry, oh God, if I let go, I'll be a nobody. I used to worry about that, I'll just become an enlightened cucumber. <laughs> Yep, yep. Yeah, she broke through a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah, she, she don't say much. <laughs> she, she just sits there. <laughs> and we can worry, oh God, you know, because when I was growing up, that could be, you know, the biggest cut of all, not to have any personality. There are nobody... But Ajahn, Ajahn Chah, he taught us, don't be afraid of emptiness. He said, you're, you're, you're like a bell. A lot of time you just sit there, empty. Enjoy that. But if we're afraid of the emptiness, we can, we, we all know that, we can think that's a waste of space. And think, oh gosh, you know, I've got to have my clock with me. I don't want to be late, and then I need another clock for a backup in case that clock. <laughs> you got to anticipate. <laughs> what if it doesn't work? And, you know, my God, uh, man, I'm getting old, man. You need the lights, you better have the light. <laughs> and there, and, uh, oh God, without my hat, I am finished. <laughs> and, oh my God, maybe it's gone. <laughs> maybe someone took it. <laughs> it's very hard to get a good hat. Uh, it might be in there somewhere. And, you know, we have our minds so full, and what I might say, and what if I, that happens, then I'll say that, and if that happens, then, that, and then I'm going to be relaxed. And, uh, and you know, what was that other point? God, I knew I should have written that thing down. And then the incident happens and we meet a condition. <laughs> and there's just a clank. Clank. Because we're so full. 
And yes, thoughts are all right, but when we moderate them, when we savor the gap, when we realize and honor the true empty nature of thought, and little by little we know that all forms are empty, but the emptiness is form. And we, and just like that mantra, Namo Konchimpusa, helps me just trust in the listening and the, the mantra keeps dissolving. Then when a, something touches us, we can resonate. can respond. Through the emptiness there can be the sound of kindness and benevolence. And if there's suffering, we can resonate with that and help see into freeing in whatever way we can, alleviating. If there's beauty with our empty heart, we can rejoice in the leaves and the wind and the colors and the air. And we can also, with that empty heart that's not caught up in having to have it this way or having to have it that way, in a moment we can go deep into the suchness, the as-isness, in touching to that peaceful core, no matter what's happening, realizing that, like the waves on the ocean are shimmering, shifting, changing, they are doing what they are doing, but they're all not apart from, they're rooted in, of one substance with that depth. So don't be afraid. Of the emptiness. Don't be afraid to let go and allow oneself to touch into this sacred ground. And to finish uh, tonight with the words from our uh, dear teacher Lumpa Cha, Ajahn Cha. Who's given such a blessing to, to Nisra and myself, so many beings. To his embodying of the teaching. Here's what he said Do everything with a mind that lets go. Do not expect praise or reward. If you let go a little, you will have a little peace. If you let go a lot, you will have a lot of peace. If you let go completely, you will know complete peace. Your struggles with the world will have come to an end. <laughs>